Now, our legacy is a continual expression of the love, values, faith, and beliefs. It is in our investment in a bright future that we hope will live on after we're gone. Today, we're going to talk to Jan Silvias about building a legacy of strength and graciousness for our children to follow. Jan Silvias has been meeting people where they are for over 30 years, helping them to find a new way of dealing with the same old situations. She's a successful author, speaker, life coach, as well as a wife, mother, and grandmother. She has been a plenary speaker for Precept Ministries National Women's Convention, Moody's Women's Conference, Moody's Founders Week, Women of Joy, and hundreds of churches across the country and overseas. Welcome to the Gems of Motherhood, Jen. It's so good to have you on the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here with you, Sharon. Yes, absolutely. I cannot wait to chat with you because I know that you have so many incredible wisdom and experiences that you'll be able to share with our audience. Now, Jen, tell me, first of all, what do you think is the real purpose of parenting? Oh, (laughs) I think there are many purposes, but the main purpose is to develop human beings worth their salt. Mm-hmm. And to form, to allow God to use you to form that raw material that arrives on planet Earth with grace and with wisdom about God. Mm. And I think that's our, that's our job. Yeah. And then what they do with it is up to them. But right. it's our job to give them the, I would say, the template right. of what it's supposed to be. Exactly. Now, for Christian parents, the ultimate goal is to lay a foundation in our children's impressionable years, just as you've just mentioned, right? So they will always desire to fully seek God as their father. Now, how can we help our children to do that? How can we help them to seek and desire God? Well, one way, I believe, is to follow the bent of the children, because each child comes with their own set of gifts and personality, ups mm-hmm. and downs, and is formed in the image of God, but each is very different from the other. And so the, what will work with one child is not going to work with the other. And sometimes I believe in the old days, I don't know what's happening now because I don't have young children, but in the <laughs> old days, church- You're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm tired, but not for that reason. Uh, I have church did a lot to try to uniformly teach Christ. Mm -hmm. And so there was one way you went to Sunday school, you sat a certain way, you sat in a circle, you had a uniform lesson, everything was uniform. And everybody didn't learn the same way. Mm -hmm. Everybody didn't didn't have the same life experiences. So although they came and although I'll say they, we came and although then the next generation sent their children to do the same thing, there was very little creativity where children were recognized for their differences. They were punished for not being the same. Mm. And um, so that was, that was a bit of a problem, I think. So I think that really, as you look at it, what we can do in this generation, which is the one where which we're speaking, is we can be creative and recognize the bent of our children. That scripture that says, bring up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't return from it. Well, the way he should go, when you when you begin to look at the, the Hebrew there, it's their bent 
is the way they are created. Right. Some, some are very creative. Some are very shy. Some are very outspoken. Some, they're just all different. Right. They come right. here like, well, like puppies. They're all different. Right. And, so, and so, but you can't expect them to fit in. For instance, I am a child, an old child, but a child who, <laughs> who never liked the uniformity of church. Mm-hmm. I just never liked it. In fact, I can remember saying to my mother and dad, who insisted that I go to church three times a week, that um I, I know that that verse in the Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord, but I don't want to go to the house of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So I was one of those kids. So I have a real affinity for children and even adults, but for those who are bent in a different direction and don't find comfort in the uniformity of the way that we often think we're going to bring people to Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not the way it always happens. Mm. I love that you mentioned that you work with the children the way that they're bent. And like you set your example saying that, you know, you're never one that wanted to go to church three times a week. And obviously for parents, you know, we, we kind of sometimes think, think you have to go to church. How can you not go to church? Right. you know, give me an example. What would you do in this situation whereby if let's just say a child said, I really don't want to go to church or I really don't want to pray tonight? Well, I would say if you don't want to go to church and you don't want to go to your Sunday school class or you don't want to go to your class, you can always go and sit with me. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think you stop what is your family habit, but I think you certainly can make adjustments and say, you can sit with me and you can take a tablet and a pen and you can draw. I don't care what you do, but you can sit with me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care what you do short of video games. You're not going to take your video games, but you can sit with me and just in the presence. A lot of times kids don't want to go because they have had some kind of negative experience with a teacher or the kids mm. in the either in the Sunday school or the youth program, and they don't want to go. Well, there's comfort in sitting with parents. So I would say that. I would say about prayers at night or prayers in the morning or whenever you have prayer time, I would say, you know what? Maybe you don't want to pray right now, but I'm going to pray for you. Mm -hmm. So let's just go ahead and talk to God about this, because God's not impressed by the times that we show up. He's impressed by our hearts. Mm -hmm. And so right now, I know you don't you don't feel like praying. That's okay. I'll pray for you. In other words, I think you continue to do what is part of your family discipline, but you don't make the child fit into something that at that moment or even over a long period of time just yeah. doesn't work for them. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, then because then you'll be forcing them and then it may just backfire, right? It, it will backfire. Yeah. <laughs> it's a guarantee. Yes, it will backfire. Now, I mean, before you said about how in your days that there was the uniformity of church, did that backfire on you? Yes, When I went away to college, I walked away from church. And one of the things I went to a Christian college and Mm -hmm. really probably that was the worst possible thing my first year because they sent around buses and everybody because nobody had cars at that time. And so everybody could go to church and you would get on a certain bus. Well, I just stayed in the dorm. 
I thought, I'm not getting on a bus going to church. I don't want to go to church. Mm-hmm. And so after a year, I left that college and I went to a secular college in, in the state where I lived. And then I began to see that if I were going to have any connection with God or any spirit life, it was up to me. Mm-hmm. Nobody was going to send a bus. Nobody was going to require me to go to chapel. Nobody was going to make me do it. And so I went through a period of time where I just didn't do it, but I still had a longing to know Christ. I had a longing when I would hear scripture, it would mm-hmm. resonate with me. So I had the, the roots, the seeds had been planted, right? but what I did not have was a, an affinity for the church. Mm-hmm. or an affinity for the uniformity of the way things were done. Mm-hmm. So I returned, but I returned as God called me. He He called me to himself, not as I was forced right. or not that I was that I so that I would look like a good kid to everybody else, his family. Right. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. And it's yeah. like, nah. And, and that's why we have so much going on behind closed doors because we want our children to look good, but they can do what they want to. Once they get the keys to the car, by the way, they're going to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's just the way it is. Mm, but yeah. that's why you have to pray for them and depend on God to call them to himself. Right. Um, you'll, ne- you'll never force them there. Exactly. Now we're talking about legacy today. And obviously, in your situation, I'm sure it was the legacy of prayer that really brought you back to desire God. Now, talk to me a little bit about what does it mean having a legacy of strength? I think a legacy of strength is having endured you keep on. And within families, I think a legacy of strength can be passed down. I had grandmothers who went through horrific situations. I had one grandmother who died when her oldest child was 18 and her youngest child was three weeks old. Oh, wow. And she had nine kids in between. And so, but she had been a strong woman and she had raised excellent children. And that family, although they lost their mother, The legacy of strength that they had is that they have stayed together. Two of them are still alive. They have stayed together through 75, 80 years and had bonded because of the legacy of strength that was left by their mother, whom they really only knew through the older children, but they did know it. And uh, my grandfather left the family for a period of time. And so I can't say it was from him, but I can say that the mother left a legacy of strength. My other grandmother had a husband who died in the mines and she ran a boarding house, which would have been a glorified B&B right now. But she, her boarding house burned down Mm. and she had six kids. And so they remember that she saved a pitcher of buttermilk and that she held on to that. The house burned down. They rebuilt and she never remarried, but she raised those kids. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a legacy of strength. So what I have learned, my own mother was very strong. What I have learned through these years 
is that as a woman, I am not weak. Mm-hmm. I am strong. God has given me gifts. I am fully capable of doing what he calls me to do. And that I do not have to give in to the fact that, well, I'm just a woman. Right. In our family, we have well learned that just being a woman is a real plus and it brings value and that a woman is to bring value to her family. And I hope that my sons and my grandchildren will look at me and and see strength. My husband died two years ago. Mm-hmm. And when he died, we were all together. He died suddenly. We were together for a birthday and he was getting ready to ask the blessing and he just killed over and he was gone. So, uh... Well, I had a choice at that moment. I could either fall apart and say, oh, what am I going to do? Or else I could say, okay, what are we going to do next? And so we gathered together and we started making lists. And the last two years, I've sold a house. I bought a car. I've I've done a lot based on the strength that I saw legacy wise. Mm. I, I had a legacy of strength. Therefore, that was what I expected of myself. And I believe what God had poured into me for this time. Right. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I think as a woman and as a mother, we are strong women. And that's how God has built us to be. Yes. There are just certain things that we do that are just different that men can't do and vice versa. Exactly. Now, how can we model graciousness to our children and how can we teach them graciousness? Well, in order to model graciousness, we have to be gracious. Mm -hmm. And I think to be gracious, we have to have graciousness modeled. And so it's it is a generational thing. I have had women in my life who have been extremely gracious. And when I mean gracious, there is a quality about them that offers to those around them what they do not deserve. They are not self-centered women. They are not women who are, who are taken with uh, entitlement. There are too many women who feel entitled uh, because I believe in the feminist movement and because of mm-hmm. our culture, there is an entitlement that women have. And I, I find that reprehensible. But when I see graciousness, I see women who are strong, but they're also aware of the people around them. And they offer to the people around them what the people do not deserve. That is true with our children, with our mates, with our family, with our friends, with people we see in public. It's offering something you do not deserve because it's what God does in us, through us, to us, and for us. Right. That we do not deserve. So if we're going to offer that to other people, nothing we give to folks is based on their deserving, mm-hmm. nor is it based on our on our deserving. Mm-hmm. It is based on we give because God gave. Amen. Now, there's so many ways that we can practice graciousness. Can you share some examples? Of practicing graciousness? Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the ways that graciousness can be practices, especially adults to children. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the theme here. It's when an adult doesn't take a child's 
childishness into too seriously and is willing to do something special for that child or is willing to not indulge, but give that child something to remember. I had an aunt. I have an aunt. She's still alive. She's 95. I always knew that when I was around her, she would either have something special planned or she would have some sort of adventure we would talk about we were going to do or that she would have some sort of treat stuck back. But she was always thinking of ways to say, I love you. Mm. And that's that is a gift. That's a habit. That's something you have to work at. I, I believe that graciousness is shown by, first of all, the way we behave. But graciousness is also shown by giving. There is a a giving when you go to someone's house and they have fixed a special meal for you. Mm -hmm. That's graciousness. When my grandchildren who are all grown now would come to my house, there were certain things that we would do that I would do. I would go out of the way to do for them. They were little things, but I knew that they liked them. There was a certain candy that they liked or a certain meal that they liked. Well, it was no problem. Well, for instance, fried okra was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And some people don't like fried okra, but I had one grandson in particular who loved fried okra and he liked the way I cooked it, which was different because I cooked it in coconut oil. Oh, okay. And, and so I love fried okra. Yeah. And, and <laughs> try it in coconut oil. It's really good. Okay. And so he, he absolutely loved it. So even if I were out of coconut oil, I'd go get it. I get the okra and I would have fried okra for him. Why? Because I love him. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was a graciousness toward him. Mm. So it's just things like that. It's awesome. Now, why do you think that leaving a legacy is so important? And why do you think that leaving a legacy of strength and graciousness is so important? Well, I think that having lived on the earth, we ought to live some, leave some sort of, excuse me, some sort of footprint. Mm -hmm. And we can either leave the footprint that is the messy footprint in the mud that people want to cover up and say, well, we're glad that's over. Or we can leave the footprint of someone that they can look back to and say, remember how she was when this happened? Remember how she was about that? And the last thing on earth I want to be remembered for is being a crabby old lady. Excuse me. <laughs> That people don't want to come see, that people don't want to be around, and that was always demanding something rather than giving something. Right. And so if you're going to live, leave a legacy, one thing that is really important, I wrote the book, Courage for the Unknown Season, and one of the mm -hmm. chapters in there is clean up after yourself before you go. Well, that's a legacy that I'm working on even now. And that is I'm downsizing. I'm getting rid of stuff mm -hmm. and I'm trying to minimalize my life so that when the time comes for me to go to be with Jesus, that everybody doesn't say, why didn't she clean up this mess before she left? <laughs> right. But because we, we collect so much stuff over yeah. the years. I just sold a house and we had been in 30 years well, 30 years of stuff is a lot of stuff, but I have gotten rid of so much that when 
my kids help clean out. And I said, don't show me, just get rid of it. Well, the, <laughs> that's the best. Yeah. I didn't have to look at it. The only right. problem was the next, the next day when I wanted to cook an egg, I couldn't find a pot and I couldn't find a pan. I couldn't boil <laughs> it and I couldn't fry an egg. So I called a, a friend and I said, would you mind loaning me a frying pan and a pot? I'd like to cook an egg or something. And I laughed because I told the kids to get rid of it. And I told them I didn't want to see it. So they got rid of it and I didn't see it. But you know what? I'm not the, I'm not the poorer for it. I'm good. Yeah. Sometimes it's like you really think you need it, but maybe you don't. You don't. <laughs> not so much. As we're talking about graciousness, right? Obviously, sometimes we have children we talked about earlier that are bent differently. And some of them may obey easily. Some of them may be disobedient because they are more strong-willed or whatever. How can we correct disobedience in a gracious way? Well, most of the time, if you have a child who, who will listen, you can talk with a child. But I am not of the school that says, I want you to go sit in mm-hmm. quiet time and I want you to think about this because as far as I'm concerned, that just gives them time to think up something else to do. <laughs> and so, uh, I believe in quiet, uh, you know, quiet time or whatever they call that. Yeah. I believe in correction at the moment. Right. And I believe if there is misbehavior, you correct it on the spot and you correct it graciously, which means you don't upbraid the child. You don't shame the child, mm-hmm. but you get on a level with the child. You look in their eyes and you say, this is unacceptable and it needs to stop. And because unless children look into your eyes and unless they understand you mean what you mean, they're going to do what they want to do. And I believe the adult in the room is the one to say that needs to stop. I love you. Let's do this. And I, diversion is great. I believe in, especially with little children, mm-hmm. a three-year-old or three, four, that age, you can divert them with, honey, that needs to stop. Let's do this. And you divert them. Mm-hmm. But once they get up to an age where they're obviously full of themselves and are just testing you, then I think the parent always needs to win. Mm-hmm. Anytime they test, yeah. if you test me as a child and I'm the parent, I'm going to win. And they need to understand that, that they don't, they cannot manipulate And I very graciously let them know that you cannot manipulate. And I think one of the things you do is you begin to eliminate. Graciousness will eliminate the things that distract them. For instance, you can take things away. You eliminate privilege. Mm -hmm. You, You eliminate things, but you have to stick with it. That's one reason that very much of our discipline doesn't work is we don't stick with it. Right. Consistency. Stick with it. Yeah. Consistency and sticking with it, it can be a much shorter time and much more effective. Right. So I think it takes as much, it takes a lot out of a parent to be a good, gracious disciplinarian whose children are obedient, but obedient children will rise up and call you blessed. And not only that, but everybody else around you is going to call you blessed too. Mm -hmm. There's nothing worse than bratty children, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially in a restaurant. Oh boy. Yeah. It's just, it's just unbelievable that parents allow it, but I think it's because they don't know how. Right. 
Exactly. And, you know, parenting, it's not easy. And like we said earlier, you know, we have to be creative in the senses and like learn to know the heart of your child, who your child really is and how to work with, you know, your child. Um, And uh, I, I mean, for me, I find myself constantly thinking of creative ways because they change season after season. Exactly. Um, and sometimes you think when you've got it down and all of a sudden they switch up on you, you're like, oh no, what do I do next? You know? They switched up on you and so you got to switch up just as quickly. Right, exactly. You almost have to think two steps ahead of them. Exactly. You do. Yeah. Well, Jen, we're almost at the end of the show, but I would love to hear, you know, is there anything else that you would like to share with other gems of mothers out there? I think the most important thing you can do as a mother is pay attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live in a day and time when our attention is easily diverted. And yet these gifts, these jewels that God has given to us, these little people who are in process that we have been given are there for us to pay attention because that's our job as parents. And I think often we don't pay attention and they get away from us. Mm-hmm. So if I had it to do over again, I would have paid more attention. So that's my encouragement. Well, thank you so much, Jen. You shared really great uh, gem nuggets with our moms out there. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. And thank you very much for dialing me in. Of course. Thank you. Now, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Gems of Motherhood podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more amazing Gems of Mothers and more resources, head over to gemsofmotherhood.com where you can subscribe to the show. That's where you'll find show notes with actionable tips and any links mentioned by our guest. Most importantly, I hope you'll find inspiration and learn to cultivate your own journey. You are loved. You're an incredible gem to God. He knows you intimately. He knows what you're going through and he knows what you need. Remember, you're fearfully and wonderfully made in him. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.